current wording of one one union, one life has been in existence since 2000, January 1st. So that's 21 years plus. And you've got to ask a question, why, why was it put there in the first place? Um, they said it was to protect smaller countries, smaller rugby unions, uh, but the evidence doesn't show that. It shows the opposite. The professional game has made it harder. Um, yes, we get a little bit of money back from World Rugby after it holds a successful, profitable World Rugby World Cup. But can they argue that you know, if we had access to our best players who are not being used by Tier 1 countries, uh, would we have been better off? And I can probably answer that. Well, just look at what Rugby League did in their Rugby World Cup. Recently, obvious that with our best players available who really want to play for the country, who have heritage, we would do really well. You were playing through this. You'd obviously debuted for Tonga, I think, you know, mid-90s. 95. 95, <laughs> yes, a long time ago. Um, and, uh, and this law came into place, as you say, at the turn of the century, uh, and then you yeah. continued to play for Tonga for a few years beyond that. So during your time with the Ikaletahi um, and the players that you played alongside, did you notice any difference from pre-2000 to post-2000 in, in terms of either players that wanted to play for Tonga that therefore could not, you know, after a stand-down after that or or just I- any yeah. meaningful change? Yeah, obviously, um, the guy, not just Tonga, but Samoa, mainly uh, the guys that are here in the Wellington team, mainly Samoa. And you could see the frustration uh, that they held just having played a handful of tests a good mate of mine, Philo Tietia, who's now coaching a minor Pacifica, he could have been an amazing international player for Samoa. And he 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 bubbles everything for Samoa. And yeah, you could see that uh, him and his family were hurting. That opportunity wasn't there for him. Ace had played for uh, Samoa, the young brother. There's a lot of guys that had played a handful of tests, or even for the New Zealand 18. Kubu Vainisi was another flanker uh, that we had in Wellington. Um, class act. They could have done so much more Tonga. There's a whole heap of guys that our parents came out to New Zealand, Australia. Tata Kaf is in that position as well. And uh, made a home or uh, migrants into a new country. And we sort of won our status as, as citizens uh, in, in our new countries. And, and we, we played well for those countries. But the other half of us is uh, desperately trying to help our home country. Uh, Valerie Adams is a big part of that. You know, she'll wear the her take the Tonga flag wherever she goes, um, just to show that there is more to uh, what people think. Um, hugely proud of our little island and the people who met us who we are today, and we want to celebrate that. We want the opportunity to give back to the islands. Um, we've given a lot to, say, New Zealand, Australia, now England, or Japan, but, you know, we are asking the question, why can't we give, give back to a country that, that has that holds a really special place for us? Um, Unfortunately, the, the council might see differently because there's a threat that will be too good. And, you know, rather than beat us on the field with our best, they can do that off the field by just restricting us from and treating us like property. That uh, if we decide to play for a country, you're now property and you can't change. You're stuck. And we're, I'm pretty sure the abolition of slavery stopped that back in the, in the late 1840s. That was a long time ago but we still have little remnants of it that still play a part in, uh, in, in silly rules like this. Well, welcome, Dan. 24th of November is D-Day this time around. Um, the fact that it's at least going to be put before the council, I guess, is some form of progress, but uh, what's your sort of mindset? Do you, do you feel optimistic? The fact that they're at least discussing it, is that something, or is it irrelevant because, you know, it's highly unlikely to pass anyway with 
you know, the makeup of the council? They make it difficult, don't they? You know, firstly, um, you know, the fact that, you know, Tonga, probably the, you know, the, the biggest beneficiary of a, of a change of eligibility laws don't have a vote on the council um, at this stage. Um, and then the fact that, uh, you know, um, some of the bigger nations, um, bigger and, um, you know, and population-wise anyway, and probably finances, um, not necessarily in results, um, have three three votes, you know, um, Italy, who are actually, you know, ranked below Fiji, have three times as much voting power. It's, it's messed up. Um, and then you've got, you know, the, the fact that the threshold for this eligibility uh, law to pass is 75%, you know, almost makes it um, a non-starter, really. Um, you know, that's just 14 votes to go against. We can pretty much count those um, already. Um, so, yeah, not massively op- optimistic, uh, Vinny, about it being able to go through. Is it encouraging? In a, in a, in a sense, it is, because we've, we've lobbied hard for this to be on the agenda for years. But then the fact that it's, you know, um, it feels like a bit of a box-ticking exercise for, for World Rugby to be able to say they're reviewing it, but actually, you know, with the knowledge that, you know, very small chances that it will go through, is possibly a chance for them to, you know, to say, oh, well, at least we're doing something, you know. Um, and we can't we can't ever settle for that either. Um, you know, we have to keep pushing for, you know, for, you know, for at least a fair vote, you know, um, and every other, most other sectors, you know, even... You know, Brexit, for instance, you know, went through with a 50.00.2% vote and that, and the UK came out of, out of, out of Europe. So, you know, and that's a big, that's a massive uh, issue that affects, you know, millions of people's, you know, um, lives. So why are we, why are we having to fight, you know, for something and, and it, all of a sudden World Rugby decided it's 75%, you know? Um, yeah, so there are some double standards that we feel still need addressing. And those are probably wider systematic issues as opposed to just this eligibility, as I said, you know, the, the, um, the weighting of the, of the council. Um, but also, you know, the fact, you know, that um, a lot of these votes are behind closed doors. The fact that you've got prominent Tier 1 players, the likes of Ali Savi, the likes of Nani Lomape, those sorts of guys coming out now at the peak of their powers and saying this needs to change. So somebody like Adi, you know, people think he might one day want to play for Samoa, but he's obviously very happy in the All Blacks right now. He's not saying that he's going to play for Samoa. He's just saying that other people in that position should be able to. So it's not just someone who's 35, had a great career and maybe wants to help out at the end. It's somebody who's at the peak of his powers at one of the strongest teams in the world saying, people that look like me, people that are like me, they should get that opportunity too. How much of an impact does that make? Oh, just from yeah, being a Wellington kid, um, watching uh, Adi come through the grades and now have him as all-black captain, uh, that's massive. Everyone's listening to what Adi says. Um, and he speaks for the majority of us, I would say 99% of Adi, if you're the way Adi does. There's one or two percent that uh, they don't. That's their, that's their opinion. That's got ideas of why. It, uh, it's fine the way it is. But yeah, well, again, I mentioned before that, um, you know, as, as, as a culture, some Montanoki GMs and generally Pacific Islanders uh, are really connected with their wider families. Um, we still have that, you know, really strong connection. Um, and it was good to see Tana and a lot of guys that, um, that are from my era uh, like, like that, immediately put that uh, heart sign behind, behind what. Um, Adi was uh, putting out there in his position, which is which is brilliant. Uh, we need more of that. Just to point out that it is it is time to change. We've taken the the, the wrong end of sort of help from sort of to get us to where we need to be, and World Rugby just pumping money and, and clinics into the Pacific hasn't done too much. Whereas, again, going back to an example, 
of what uh, Martin Matong and Rugby League did with, with guys that could switch, who are at the top of their game, who are linked to the country uh, through, through parentage or heritage, um, can change it overnight. And it doesn't cost World Rugby any money. Well, you mentioned earlier Philo and Ace Tiatia, obviously. Ace representing Samoa, Philo, the All Blacks. Tana, of course, All Blacks captain, and Mike, uh, a long-time Manu Samoa player. Um, when you've got that, literally, brothers, you know, it kind of puts into perspective, doesn't it, how absurd it is that these guys would not be allowed to play for the same country. Correct. That's how close we are to the island. We, we love dearly the countries that we're, we're growing up in, um, but we are hugely tied. You know, countries that our forefathers have been for 3,000 odd years, which you know, we take big pride in, in what our family names are. But, you know, that's probably something that the rest of the world don't quite get, is that, you know, that um, as, as a specific culture, we are heavily connected to how our families are. Dan, in, in terms of the proposal that is being put forward to the council, um, as I understand it, it's um, you'd have to have uh, either a parent, a grandparent, or be born in the country. I know you've got some other ideas in terms of maybe a two-year stand-down. Um, how palatable do you think uh, the proposal that's going to be in front of members is to some of those who are a bit more sceptical? Yeah, that's, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? You know, um, not only are we having issues with, uh, you know, of, of, of the right going ahead, but the, the proposal for me is is, is weak. A three-year stand-down is, isn't going to alleviate a lot of the fears that, pe- that people have got around the whole eligibility debate. The whole key is that we get players in their prime, not when they're older, as you said. So, you know, um, uh, three years only adds to that. You know, um, you know, you want to see those guys. And that, hence, hence I, I, I think a two-year stand-down period would be much more sensible. I mean, ultimately, you'd have no stand-down period if they qualify and, they, and they're unwanted and they haven't been, you know, selected to come back and play straight, straight away. I'd, I'd love to see that. But I, I understand, you know, that we have to, uh, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, um, rugby fans that, you know, and, and it's a key argument, you know, we have to protect the integrity of the game. And there's a talk about how, you know, if you, if you just, you know, if you're allowed to switch as quickly as they do in rugby rugby league, it would somehow cheapen the jersey. Um, well, it wouldn't cheapen our jerseys. You know, Samoa and Tongas, if you know, if, our, if our, we were able to get our, you know, some of our top line players back straight away overnight, that would increase the value in our jerseys. And it would allow us, to, you know, to sell, you know, get sponsorship um, to, uh, you know, get bigger games, to get results, to, to increase our rankings and our World Cup performances, which would automatically inject, um, you know, um, bucket loads of, uh, of cash into our unions, which would be, be, then be able to um, invest into grassroots. And that's the problem at the moment. Everyone says, well, invest in your player pathways, you know, grass, grassroots and equaling, you know, the financial problems in the game that um, mean that players leave the islands in the first place. Well, that money's got to come from somewhere. And this is a great way to be able to do that. And I'm not saying that it needs to be, you know, forever. It's, you know, but these these laws need to be fluid and they need to be looked with, a, you know, through the right lens uh, positively, as opposed to at the moment, the wording, as you say, but it's, it's negatively geared, I think, the proposal to make it the, you know, to, to influence the, the council members, to, um, you know, to, to vote against it. That's the way I read it. I would have liked to, to have been reworded. Um, yeah, that stand down period is problematic in my eyes. It's detrimental to what we want to get out of the out of these laws, um, and yeah. But in terms of, of the length of it, you know, review it. You know, pass it through. Our, our cry out is that, 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 that the voting nations allow it to pass through, and you know, maybe in ten years' time, Samoa and Tonga are financially in the position where we don't need to draw back on those players that have been kept uh, by Tier One nations before, so we can change it and bring it back to you know, take it back to what it was. 
but at the moment, you know, we are on our knees. Samoa and Tonga uh, rugby, are, you know, if, if, if things don't change, I just can't see us being around um, and competing in, the, in in World Cups again, you know, for the foreseeable future. Look look at Tonga now, you know, the last three games that they played against Tier 1 Nations, they haven't got within 60 points. You know, one of them was 100 points. The, the proof is there in the pudding to, to see the direction that things are going. Um, you know, Fiji are making strides and heading in the right direction. Um, you know, good on them. And we're really proud to see them doing well. But um, Samoa and Tonga and other Tier 2 nations, we need a leg, we need a leg up. And this is a perfect opportunity, as Enoki said. It won't cost anybody any money um, apart from, you know, voting in favour of the law, law change. And it'll give us an in- direct injection of cash for, for the foreseeable future to be able to get our unions back um, up off their knees. And inside the regulations of World Rugby, there's a lot of stuff in there uh, and, and it keeps evolving and they keep adding bits and pieces. And I remember me reading, just to get membership into, into World Rugby, there, there is exceptions given to countries with smaller populations. That in itself has been built in to, to recognise there are countries who have tiny populations, but they deserve a chance to be uh, a member of World Rugby. They've got the ideas there that can be implemented that is consistent with, with the regulations of membership and then council member, etc. Um, but they, they haven't quite done it for eligibility. Um, the regulation has been built up over the years to keep including something more that just keeps putting the hurdles, more hurdles in front and higher hurdles are back. So uh, like Dan, what they're putting up to vote on the 24th doesn't read well anyway. At least it acknowledges that they have to change. And over time, they've got to chip away at making their eligibility regulations one that works for not just the tier one countries, because that's all it works for at the moment, just them. It needs to work for everyone. It needs to work for countries with a population of 100,000. And, you know, that's, that's when a game is entertaining. We don't want to lose by 100 or 60 points when we know we've got people that are our people that can go in there and put on a party, party performance. But they won't let us the way that it is structured and they know that. And it's, uh, they want, you know, they're, they're going to say, oh, no, this is, this is the way it works for professional sport. But it hasn't. It hasn't worked for professional sport. They, they still can't get the, the, what the model that they have isn't a good one. If they had made this, this change to try and go in a, a direction that would allow smaller countries to compete, then yes, that they, they will make a uh, head road with little countries, uh, any country that is good and deserves to be there. Um, Dan, in the documentary, you put together Oceans Apart. Um, one of your key lines is that the reason there'll be no change is because the, chain, the people who stand to lose from that change have all the power. How... In this context of the eligibility rules, do you get beyond that in terms of needing to convince those countries that have all the power that passing something like this is good for the game, even if it might not be ideal for them? Is is that a hurdle that is surmountable? Yeah, it goes back to, you know, um, I guess uh, reinforcing and really questioning what the values of, of the game are. You know, the, the game was always pride itself on equality, you know, sportsmanship, uh, f- fair play. Um, those are, you know, those are the key, um, uh, you know, foundations of rugby or so, so-called foundations anyway. Um, so, you know, we, we, we just want to be, you know, we're trying to be positive and, and reinforced, to, you know, to other nations that actually you might be doing all right now, 
Um, but you know, um, you know, and everybody seems to protect their little piece of the pie. But let's grow the pie. Let's grow it bigger, and your and your and your and your share of that becomes worth worth more. And that's the that's the, the mindset that we're, we're coming from. Is actually, you know, um, rather than the protection of spirit that seems to be over the game at the moment, we need we do need to break through from that. And uh, yeah, I mean, our tactics are varied from time to time. Sometimes, you know, we, we try and re- reinforce that positively. Um, you know, and other times we try, you know. If, the, the mentality is that if you know if, if they aren't going to do things for the you know um, because it's just the right thing to do, then we you know we, perhaps you know sometimes we need to try and shame you know certain certain nations into it as well. But that only that can only go so far. So for us, it's about um, a lot of you know um, you know as I said you know these votes are always unfortunately um, you know behind closed doors. So you never actually know at the end of the day who you know you can do a bit of guesswork, but you actually never know who votes against and for in these situations so um that's you know um i think there's a few things that need to ha- happen um the need for it to become surmountable that's probably one of them you know we need you know we need to know who, who we need to be targeting um you know th- there's a bit of concern that possibly fiji might be um thinking about um voting against the eligibility uh changes as well um again, again they're probably pretty happy with where they're sitting on the top of the pacific um, they've been recipients of targeted World Rugby funding now for the last two World Cup cycles, which means that they've had uh, almost double the, the funding that um, Samoa and Tonga have had combined over the last eight years. Um, and they're in the top 10 ranking, got a super rugby team now, based in the eyes. Great. So, you know, as I say, the, all the arrows are heading in the right direction for them. But, you know, um, as Anoki touched on earlier, the, the Pacific Brotherhood has always stood strong and um, we like to think that, you know, when it comes, when push comes to shove, we stick, we stick together. But the reality is, is if that Fiji vote against at that at that vote, um, then it gives all of those nations, those that were potentially thinking about voting against, as well, uh, a perfect excuse because they'll just look at it and go, "Well, if Fiji are going to vote against it, then you know we don't need to vote for it either." So yeah, we 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 we, we um, a lot of a lot of conversations that we're having behind closed doors with uh, you know um, council members. Um, you know, union uh, representatives, uh, the players themselves can be putting a lot of pressure on it. Um, but yeah, at, at times, Vinny, you're right, mate. It just, just seems like you're push, pushing a rock um, up a hill um, that just keeps wanting to, to roll back down. There are, of course, other measures, not just strictly the eligibility rules. There's the residency requirement, which is about to be pushed out to five years. And I know here in New Zealand, the fate of Falao Whakatawa is very much uh, something that's been... Uh, I guess making New Zealand rugby sleepless at night, but there's probably a lot of people in the Pacific that, you know, he he's an innocent party in this too. He's come over here for schooling. He's obviously a phenomenal rugby player. Um, probably wants to take the opportunities in front of him as he's right, you know, has the right to do. But I guess Enoki, uh, maybe you're a good one to talk about somebody like him. It's a classic case of somebody who's come over here for their rugby talents for schooling. Um, plenty have done it before him, and he's kind of found himself in the middle of the situation. In a sort of a process for, let's say seven years, you know, these kids will be targeted on the island, brought over here for a few games in front of other schools that, that, that like, like the look of them. They'll get scholarships to come over here. Uh, New Zealand rugby are well aware of, of this process. They, they, they'll, they'll identify the kids that are looking amazing and make sure that they follow the, the progress uh, to possibly be an all-black or super, super rugby player. And that happens in Japan. Australia does something similar, but it's not as, not as well sort of... Um, uh, refined as what we have here in New Zealand. The target for, for players like this is always to make the All Blacks or in Tonga we're losing let's say eight kids a, a year that, that, that are our best very very best that are going to Japan 
Uh, Salong is one of them who was a sprint champion uh, and world ranking sort of uh, times. Australasian 100 meter champ broke the record for, for Australasia uh, uh, youth. So this kid is rapid. He's, he's in Japanese uh, setup at the moment. And the overriding goal there is to be financially better off than what they were on the islands. And this is what we were chasing, what parents chased that dream uh, 50 years ago to come here to New Zealand. And so we are economic migrants. And, uh, we, we, we see an opportunity because New Zealand pay, Japan pay, the rugby union's contract. Uh, Super Rugby, New Zealand Rugby Union own the Super franchises, so you're getting your money through Super Rugby here in New Zealand through the New Zealand uh, machine. Um, when I became uneligible back in the year 2000, I was told that my pay would have to be cut because I'm not a desirable anymore. So I packed up and went to Japan where I knew I could make more money. We sort of know our place because we come to New Zealand, go to countries knowing that we're trying to make things better for our family. The, the, the five-year uh, stand-down period that extends to is something that the Northern Hemisphere obviously were a little bit jealous with how New Zealand were getting their players so quickly, wanted to extend it. That, that happens uh, next year, 1st of January 22, correct? So that's just that magic date that it gets extended out to two more years, regardless if you're in the process of almost finishing your third year. And that's how silly the rules are. They're just made up by a bunch of people that get jealous um, or see a threat to their rugby union. So visit the council's place who are making these votes that do affect them directly. Are they the best ones to be making the vote? Couldn't it be the, the executive board who are meant to be the governors of the game who who should, should be sort of above being, you know, um, conflict within the choices of, of what should happen to the game. So you, you've got the executive council made up of the rugby unions, but you've got a, a, a um, sorry, a, yeah, rugby executive board or that are uh, above that. And why why couldn't they make the decision? But it's going to the it's going to the council. So it's going to a bunch that um, probably do see this as a threat and, and couldn't care less about trying to win the game off the field. So, so you've got the residency, and then, of course, as Dan touched on, you've got Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Ndrua coming into Super Rugby, which it might not get, you know, the top players, but there are inevitably going to be, and we've already seen with the signings announced, that there's a number of Pacific-eligible players, predominantly here in New Zealand for Moana Pacifica, that have now committed to that team. It doesn't capture them for those nations, Samoa and Tonga, but 24 months ago, 12 months ago, those players were not committed to a Pacific nation or had not indicated that. So there's a lot of people previously that would have said, no, I'm going to keep going in the New Zealand system because I don't want to put my my contract at jeopardy. I've got to make a living for my family. But now these guys have the confidence to commit to a team like Moana Pacifica or the Andrua and say that I'm putting my, my hat in with the Pacific nations. It doesn't mean they can't change their mind, you know, going forward, but that in itself surely is an encouraging step. It is a much more, uh, a better place to be in. So to have that choice is, um, and again, it's almost like a cloak of, of staying international rugby is different to club rugby, but fundamentally, no. Fundamentally, you'd be paid the rugby by the rugby to play for its club. It's not a, it's not a citizenship thing, or not at the moment, it's not a citizenship thing. So why pretend that playing for a country is now cloaked in, in prestige uh, that it used to be. 
So in, in the past, when you played for no money and you played for simple, the simple love of the game and the love of your country, yes, that was international rugby. But now it's just a club. It is a club. You get paid a silly amount of money, um, the English rugby players, uh, to play against a, a team that don't get paid a living wage. So I think that there's confusion there that the, the rest of the public are thinking that we're, we're still wearing this cloak of, of being really fine, upstanding men of the country. Unfortunately, it's not that. We're trying to put bread on the table for our families. And some countries are luckier than others because they have a whole heap more resources. So can we take, can we try and take that away? A lot of the art kids that are going through school scholarships that need, you know, they're trying to get financially better. Uh, so they're in a, state, in a position to help uh, their families. They're going to make the choice to play for for a country that has uh, that rugby union has money, and that's just the way the world the world's set up. But can they or will they make the choice to to to, to vote to let little islands or little countries have their players back? At the moment, no. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm in the game of trying to shame people to making the right decision. Uh, they know it's fundamentally against human rights. Uh, you, you're, you're stopping someone from. From, from earning, because it is you're getting paid money. In my view, that's wrong. I know you've been lobbying hard, Dan, and, and Oka, you've been vocal as well, and, and many people uh, in the rugby family. But uh, put yourselves in front of the World Rugby Council on the 24th of November. And I'll, I'll give you a minute or so each. Um, what is your message to those council members, be they the Oceania rugby representatives, be they Toilepa uh, for Samoa? or uh, John O'Connor for Fiji, or the three representatives from New Zealand, Italy, etc. Um, start with you, Anoka, then, then go to Dan. Um, what's your pitch? Uh, my pitch to the World Rugby Council is um, it's time it's time to let the shackles off the smaller nations in the world, um, who especially the ones from the Pacific, who have given so much to the game. Uh, and just imagine how, how competitive we could be with, with having our best players uh, back in, in our colours. Um, the spirit of the game will be at its height. We would have guys that have only played a handful of games for other countries that, um, that are, are, are ready to play again for, for their beloved country, their second country, that they, they didn't, didn't have a, really a choice to play for because the game is about making money, and we understand that. But if we want to take rugby to where it used to be about love, about passion, all the stuff we talked about, integrity, then the right vote is to let us have players back. So good luck with your vote. I hope it's one that's good for smaller countries. Um, but yes, look after yourselves, your family, through COVID, uh, and the game, please stay strong. Cheers. Geez, I'm probably not as uh, articulate as Inoki, uh, but I, I think, um, you know, for me, uh, Benny, um, if I was to be in that meeting, it'd be, um, you know, appealing to, yes, the hearts, but also uh, the wallets. And the reality is, is that, uh, you know, for, for everyone that has questions on that board about, oh, how does this, you know, voting for this, you know, affect us? How does it impact us positively? Because at the moment, you know, everyone's looking negatively, oh, well, Tonga and Samoa get back all their players and all of a sudden, you know, the Uruguays, the Scotlands, the Italys, they're looking over their shoulder. Are they going to beat us? Um, yeah, that could happen, but it's it's still going to benefit you financially because, you know, as uh, Enoki touched on and we've spoken about it earlier, um, 
you know, the game is driven by money. If we've got two teams who can automatically uh, become potential quarterfinalists and we take that, that number up from realistically, you know, uh, 10 teams to 12 or 14 teams, the World Cup becomes, um, you know, a bigger spectacle. Um, you know, it becomes more of a, a global game. There's going to be more money to go around. That's going to have massively impact uh, World Rugby's coffers and all of the tier, all of the tiers from tier one all the way down to three throughout through that the World Cup being the pinnacle and the main uh, you know, money uh, driver for, for World Rugby. So this isn't just something that's the right thing to do. It's, um, you know, mo from a moral perspective, um, you know, and as, you know, for the integrity of the game, but it's also the right thing to do financially. And that's, that's the key thing. Do this and everyone wins.